This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Katie Schnack, welcome to Viral Jesus. When I started pitching my book proposal, I had 400 followers. That's nothing, right? So I just knew though, but I said, okay, God, here it is. Here's my platform. Like, I feel called to this. Do what you're going to do because I can't do anything else. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. I want to read you an excerpt from a Forbes article titled, How to Handle Life Quakes and Life Disruptors. Here's the quote. It says this, We go through three dozen life transitions in our lives, one every 12 to 18 months. That's more often than most people will see a dentist. But every now and then, disruptors rise to the level of a life quake, a massive source of change that lasts for years. Our guest today is someone who will take us deeper into that conversation of transition and change and life quakes, Katie Schnack. Katie Schnack is a writer and book publicist. Her articles have appeared in places like Hello Giggles, Relevant, Today.com, and Scary Mommy. She is also the author of The Gap Decade, a book for young adults navigating through transitional seasons between young adulthood and adulthood. So I like to open each episode by reading to my guests something that they've posted online. And Katie, here is what I have from you. I went to your Instagram and you wrote this. It's hard when your heart wants to be 10 steps ahead of where you are, but you have zero idea how to get there or where there even is. Tell us what you mean by that. Um, I love that you do that. You do a little stocking. That's really fun. Um, I mean, I think that's what it is. And, you know, I think also too, I really, it reminds me of, um, your book. It's not your turn a lot too. It's kind of that same concept about how like sometimes in life we feel so sure in our heart, we want to do something or be someone, whether that be married, whether that have children, whether that, you know, write a book or reach some kind of goal, but it's just not the time for you at that moment. And that, is difficult. And that's really hard for me. And I know it is for other people too, just to want to be again, 10 steps ahead. And even too, like, it can be even something as like comparison being like, wow, yes, I have a home. And yes, I have a job. But like, it's not doesn't look like that. It's not that Instagram worthy. It's not that, you know, beautiful on paper. I wish I had that instead of this. So I think especially today in the season of comparison that we're in with social media and all that, it's so easy to kind of want to be somewhere else. And I think that with that, you can kind of lose the appreciation for what you have around you at that time. Um, So many seasons in our life of changes and transitions, I look back and at the time they were so, so challenging. And that's all I saw. But I can see now that they were also valuable and they had a purpose and a greater plan. And so I think that as I move forward in life and I grow and, you know, continue to evolve, I just try to remind myself of that. Like, yes, I might want to be, you know, where X, Y, and Z in a career or financially or whatever. But at that same time, still try to just enjoy the day-to-day moments that are around me right now. That is one of the hardest things for me 
when it comes to my relationship with God. I just had this moment the other day where I was walking into work and I was like, okay, so Lord, we're never going to get to a place where you tell me the plan. Like, that's it. This is, this is how it's always going to be where every single day, I don't know what 10 steps ahead look like. And it's so frustrating. Has that been hard? What's your Enneagram? I'm an eight. What are you? I'm a three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I always want to know the plan. I know. And you know, you saying that just made me feel really overwhelmed. I'm like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> it's like every day we wake up and you know, we don't know the plan and that's kind of crazy. But I mean, I think that we both know like at the baseline, like what we trust is God and a God that loves us. So like that is, you know, as even if that's as much yeah. as we can see in the future, that's what we can hold on to. Um, which for some people might be more than most, you know, if they don't have that faith to hold on to. But yeah, I definitely would love to know the end game in a lot of situations too. <laughs> which I'm sure is part of what you're talking about. You recently wrote a book called The Gap Decade. Tell us, what is The Gap Decade? What helped you write this book? What inspired you? So The Gap Decade for me is, what I did is I wrote a book that kind of chronicles like my husband and I just graduating college through having our first child. And that's like, 20s and very early 30s. And I wrote it not just to share my stories, but because I saw so many people at that age struggling and kind of walking through the same thing. And a lot of it is, like you said, you know, wanting to be 10 steps ahead of where you are, but you're just not and you don't know how to get there or you don't even know where that is. When you graduate college, Mm -hmm. at least for me, I felt like, okay, great. Got my degree, did this, married, like everything's going to fall into place now, right? And it just doesn't. And it's not linear. (laughs) Most people, it's kind of all over the map. And I think now, like you and I are both moms, you know, right? it's still, you know, we still don't like have it all figured out, like you said. And so I think that the point is, is kind of like learning to find peace and joy in that uncertainty and in those times where it's transitional and, you know, confusing and not really a sure thing is is kind of what the whole thing is. So yes, it talks about my husband and I's story, but it kind of talks about a lot of things like loneliness, finding friendships as an adult, starting a family, relationships, just kind of figuring out work stuff and all of that, just kind of walking through those things that everybody at that age just goes through in one way or the other. And I just wanted to share our stories because again, I saw so many people kind of going through the same struggles or the same, you know, trying to figure things out. So I'm hoping that just by kind of being open about my experience and looking back that someone who's walking through it now or maybe trying to even process what they did walk through during their gap decade, they can just feel a little bit less alone along the way. I'm curious, how do you think social media plays into our experience of the gap decade? Do you think that it's really intensified it for young adults today? You know, that's so funny. But when I started working in PR, like I refused to have a smartphone. I like had a little one with like a little keyboard and all that. And so like, yeah, we were on social media some, but when I was in my early 20s, it wasn't the same, right? Like we weren't snapping pictures of everything. And, you know, and as I got older, like later 20s, when we did have Instagram and the smartphones, everything like that, comparison definitely was something that I had to grapple with. And also too, I knew people that were close to me that, online, their lives looked amazing and perfect and stellar. But then like an hour earlier, I was just talking to them, they were crying in their cubicle at work, you know, and people didn't see that. Right, right. I think that is a huge, huge part of, you know, kind of walking through the gap decade, because even without trying to have all these other like, fancified, beautiful images and of other people doing things that's not 
you know, like they say, it's their highlight reel. Even without having that, it's challenging. So with that, I know that adds a whole extra set of pressure. That's why for me personally, my Instagram feed is never going to look like a magazine spread. And I just don't care because I just don't want to kind of contribute to that lie. You know, that I have it all together. My life is put all together. Yes, I share good times, but, you know, also too, like I try not to put filters on my face or like I try to do whatever because I think that as a society, there's a point where we're going to have to kind of really be like, okay, like how far do we want this to go? You know, because the young people who are in their 20s and at this time, like it has, that has to be hard on their brain. It really does. And so what do you think about that as an author? you know how hard it is, this Mm -hmm. pressure of platform, um, what people would call it. And at the same time, I totally agree with you. I'm I'm super resistant to the idea of, I mean, honestly, even influencer culture. I'm... Mm -hmm. I don't like that. You know, I don't like the idea that we have to perform in order to... Even just performing my faith feels like totally disingenuous and not what we should be doing. So what would you tell an author who's trying to get published and and social media matters, right? Like publishers are looking at your social media numbers. What do you, you're a publicist too, aren't you? I am a publicist and that is a whole nother thing. So I am a publicist for authors specifically. And you know, what I would say to that is like, I have always felt in my heart that God has called me to just write I love it. And I've literally prayed before, Mm. please take this away from me because this is a really annoying dream because it's so hard, right? It's so crazy to get a book deal. I know that prayer. I was like, yeah, my dream just to be like, raise my two little babies and make a lovely home. That's not it. Like, (laughs) I love that, but it's a whole different situation. So, but I knew that I feel so called to this in my heart. When I started pitching my book proposal, I had 400 followers. That's nothing, right? So... I just knew though, but I said, okay, God, here it is. Here's my platform. Like, I feel called to this. Do what you're going to do because I can't do anything else. You know, I'm not going to magically get 10,000 followers overnight. That's not who I'm created to be. Like, I'm not a social media maverick. This is not me. I'm a writer. And so, and God just showed up in those <laughs> moments and he just made it happen. And yes, my platform is slowly growing you know, very slowly, but I'm just going to continue to do what I feel like God is calling me to do and do it faithfully. This is as much as I can do. Everything else is in your hands. And I think there's this pressure to have numbers and all this online, but I feel like God can work outside of your Instagram follower numbers. You know, he really can. Um, And so that's just what I'm kind of, Mm. that's what I lean on in my own personal creative journey. I love that. And I totally agree. What I typically tell people is tell the story only you can tell. And then I think your numbers matter far less if it's something that literally you're one of the only people that we can hear this from. I was going to ask you actually about your social media. Talk to us about that. This show is called Viral Jesus. And we love digging into positive ways to use our, our social media platforms and just to communicate the gospel. I think a lot of Christianity has a brand messaging problem. So I'm fascinated by people who do this well. What has your social media journey looked like? And Actually, you can tell us too about your publishing journey. How do you go from, from Lord, take this cup away from me, take this dream away from me to, okay, now I'm in an interview about my mm-hmm. book that came out. I mean, when I prayed, take it away, it was just because, you know, it would be easier to not have it, but I always knew that it's what I wanted. So I don't know. I mean, I think that what I can do is just kind of focus on what exactly I want to give to the world. And what I want to give to the world is not, jealousy, not like a beautiful picture of me doing something and everyone being like, wow, like I wish I had that. 
sometimes I'll be following people. And if I ever start feeling that way, I unfollow them. I'm like, oops, uh, you're too, your life looks too lovely. Like, I'm going to unfollow you because yeah. it just puts too much weird thoughts in my head. And I'm like, I don't have time for, I don't have time for that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So what I do with my social platform is I just think, what do I want to give people? And what do I like seeing online? Yeah. And that's authenticity. That's like, yes, entertainment and like some fun things like that laughter. I love when people can make me laugh online and I hope I can try to do that a little bit to people as well. And then just do it the best I can. And I think that it's a journey. I think that social media, like it's such a big animal and some people are so, they're more talented than others and it comes naturally for more people than others. But I think that like, if you can just identify what you want to put into the world and just focus on that and just be like, well, hope that is good enough and like trust that you're doing God's will for your life. I think that's all you can really do. Tell us about your publishing journey. How did you end up getting published? This is actually a crazy story. So like I said before, I I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer. I was a huge reader. I worked in book PR. Like I knew I always wanted to just, I just love being honest with people and I love making people laugh and so much. And I just love books that I've read that have changed my life. have been just so impactful. And if I could ever do that to anybody else, it would be like such a gift. So I knew I always wanted to do it. And it was kind of funny, actually. Like I said, I had 400 followers and I had this little dream of this book that I wanted to get out there. Um, And I have a friend locally who we're both busy moms. We couldn't even like meet at a coffee shop, sit down and write together. But we would just started texting each other on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock. We like, hey, are you going to take 30 minutes today while your child's sleeping or, you know, on your lunch break from your job to kind of just work on this thing that you feel called to do? And so we're like, okay, that's what we're going to do. And the first day we sat down to do that, I was in the process of pitching my manuscript out. And literally the first email I sent out was to my agent. And she immediately replied that very first day that um, my friend Lauren and I sat down and decided to try to just do what we felt God called us to do. And so it was crazy. We just took that time and we carved it out to do like what we felt in our heart and we were passionate about and what God was calling us to do. And randomly my agent we talked about now she's like yeah I don't even know why I was looking at my email right then she looked at it I sent it it was just like a weird timing thing that's obviously just from the Lord so that's it and then after like a lot of rejections from publishers and a lot of like weird zoom calls with them they're just like no thanks and I'm like okay um then uh (laughs) yeah and it has been amazing and they're amazing and so I think that no matter what it is you feel called to do if you just pray the crap out of it and be like, okay, God, like I'm praying about this. And you just do the tiny steps. Like my tiny step that day was sitting down at noon with my friend who lives 30 minutes away. We had kids everywhere and just sending a couple emails and like just doing those tiny little steps can turn into something big. You know, if you put it before God and be like, okay. And it did. And so I'm so grateful and I love it. And just like the conversations that I've had with people who have read my book and have been impacted, it's been amazing. What advice would you give to somebody who, let's just, you know, imagine little Katie. What <laughs> advice would you give to yourself maybe five years ago um, or anybody who's thinking, I have this dream and I'd like to, I'd like to write a book. What would you say? How do you start? You know, there's a couple things that like I would kind of tell myself back then that I don't even know if I like fully believed, but I was just like, well, that sounds nice. And let's just Mm. keep telling ourselves that. But one of them was why not you, right? Why Heather can get a book published. If Katie can get a book published, if whoever can get a book published, like, why not you? You know, like it's possible. It is like, it's literally possible. Mm -hmm. You do the work and you go after it and you, you know, pray about it and just remain faithful. And 
that you're doing what God's called you to do. And so I would tell myself back then, and then I was like, I why not me? Yes. But like how? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it did. And then the other thing too is in my book, I do reference like, and I've never really said this, but I have a friend who passed away and I talk about it in the book right after freshman year of college. And there's so many times when I was chasing this kind of lofty dream, like I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I could carve out my ideal career, my whatever it would be just writing. And I was like, you know what? She didn't have the chance to do what she wanted to do because she died. You know, so then who am I to have that chance and not take it? I did that in a way that wasn't like overly pressure on me and like whatever. I did it in a way that was, yes, like she didn't have that chance. I do like just take the little steps, you know, do the things that you that light you Mm. up and fill you with creative energy and passion and enjoy this life and your career as much as you can, because not everybody gets that opportunity. And so if you do have it, just, I don't know, kind of take it as best you can. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. talk about that in your book, losing one of your best friends, Jenna, at 19. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about that story and how it impacted you at the time? And you just told us how it's impacted you years down the line. Yeah, that would definitely be like an overarching, you know, long term how it impacted me. But at the time, man, it wrecked me, right? Like, I think, I mean, you teach college, you understand, like, it's such a formative time Mm -hmm. um, of life. And for have something tragic kind of come in when you're just simply trying to pass your finals, it's just very hard mentally. So what I did in that book, like I talked about my friend and how challenging that was, but more so I talked about how later as an older adult, I, I realized the trauma that that brought me and that I had never dealt with it because so often when you're in that gap decade mm. and you're kind of trying to get a job, getting married, trying to have kids, like do all this stuff and acquire so many things. It's so forward moving that it's easy to ignore things, right? That are not healthy going on inside of you. So, but there came a time where yeah. I was like, I have to deal with this trauma um, if I'm going to be a good mom, if I'm going to continue being an okay wife, you know, things like that. And so that was it. Not, I mean, of course, just in all the ways that like your friends impact you positively, but in the long term too, again, just really being like, she's, she didn't have a chance to live the life and she had so many wonderful lofty dreams. And so I just always use that as a motivation to chase mine. Um, but then also too, like just, mm. you know, becoming real with mental health and things like that and kind of dealing with it, even if it was a decade later. 
which was one of one of the best things that I ever did. And I'm so glad that I had the courage to to get help to see a therapist to kind of walk through it. So I don't know, like, even if things happened to you years ago, like there's always time to kind of process, Mm. you know, when you're ready. What has been some of the reaction people have given you to you sharing that story? Um, you know, I don't know. That one is like sometimes people will bring it up and I do appreciate that. And I think, too, it's like everybody kind of has those traumas that have happened to them when they were younger. But I think the main thing, again, with that was it was just kind of the catalyst to start a conversation about mental health um, and faith and like realizing that Mm. it's okay if you can't stand firm, like without the help of a therapist and some medicine. And so I know that people have been I just today actually I was talking to someone and she just said, thank you for being honest about that, because there's people who in her life are like, I'll just pray it away and, you know, have faith. And she's like, so then what does that say about me? Because I need medicine, because I need therapy. Does that mean I'm less faithful? And that's just, it's one of those stigmas, you know, that I think comes from like a faith culture that I'm just trying to help tear down. Mental health. Yeah. You can be a strong Christian. You can be a believer, but you can still need help. And I think that's totally okay. I have to ask you this question because you met your husband, Kyle, when you were 12, mm-hmm. which I love because I met my husband, Seth, when I was 11. And I very what? rarely ever Heather, meet somebody you else. you beat me. Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. I very person. rarely. That's so interesting. The first person <laughs> I've ever met who beat me in that. Oh, congratulations. I love So that. I loved, I, I was super excited to talk to you about this because yes. it's so rare that I ever meet somebody that has known their partner for so, so many long. formative <laughs> years. And I have to ask you, like, do you think that that changes the nature of the relationship? And I don't know. I, I'm not married to anybody else but him. But it's just when you grow up together and have actually seen each other, like, yes. you know, just as actual babies, as tiny children and, and the dreams and the jokes and all that stuff. It's just such a different type of bond, I think, in your relationship. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that this is one thing I do address in my book. There's so many benefits to having all that time together. Kyle is my biggest blessing by far. Like I'm so grateful that I've had him through so many different seasons of life. But then there was a time too, like when we were, you know, just freshly married. And I was like, wait a minute, you're my husband, but you're also that guy in high school that made me really hurt that one time. You know what I mean? So like, there's all these like weird childhood hurts that you need to be like, okay, I'm married to you. But also, why did you do that? You know what I mean? When we were 17 years old, (laughs) which was like such a weird, like unlearning thing. Like he is a 20, whatever year old man now, like you're not 17. We're not kids anymore. And so like having to learn that hurt was, and I mean, I hurt him too. It's not, I'm not saying it was him by any means. So that was a very interesting and surprising (laughs) dynamic. I just think that we have always just grown and evolved and changed. We're not the same people that we were when we were 12, obviously, or 16 or 19. Um, But for whatever reason, we've grown together in the same way. And so I just feel grateful for that. It's just one of those weird things in life that I just feel grateful. What has been the hardest for you when we're talking about building online community? What, What have you found to be the most challenging aspect of the book world with that? What do you tell your authors? I know. Well, I know, right? Um, well, you know what? This is what I tell my authors first and foremost. And it doesn't make any sense as a publicist to say this, but like the most important thing you can do to become successful as an author is to be a good writer and like write a good book. Because mm. so often, so much time and effort and thoughts and discussions are put into the marketing 
to grow your platform, to grow your business, to do X, Y, and Z. But then when people actually open up the pages and they're like, womp, womp, they're not going to be like, hey, Heather, I just read this book. It was okay. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be like, hey, Heather, I just read this book and it made me right. laugh and laugh and it changed my life. Like you should read it. You know what I mean? So I think that remembering at the forefront of all of it, before social media, before whatever, writing is an art. Um, what we put into the world, it's it's a creative art. And just making sure that like you do that to the best of your ability is so important. Just so people will tell their friends and will grow by word of mouth. And then beyond that, I don't know. Like my biggest challenge with social media is just, you know, consistency, finding the time. It's so hard to like consistently yeah. find yeah. the things. And then also too, like my brain is so not algorithm. It's not. I don't know. And so... <laughs> Just like, is this going to go well? Is this not going to go well? I don't know. So I'm just hoping with consistency and time and like continuing to share my stories and be honest and put things out there that I'll grow a little, you know, more and more solid platform along the way. But beyond that, I don't know. There's, I don't know if there's a magic trick. Maybe I'll post one day a picture of my pigs and they'll go viral and I'll be famous. I don't know. So (laughs) that's it. (laughs) People love pigs. I know. What did your professional path look like? You know, and we're talking about the gap decade. I think the average person changes their career like five times. Mm-hmm. What did your professional path look like during those gap years? Yes, that's a great question. And so the first section of the book definitely talks through work life situations, because I think in the gap decade and for so many people, even later in life, and every time you change a job or changes, you know, it's a huge transition. Um, So for me, I majored in broadcast journalism. I spent a year writing the news and I loved it, but then I also hated it at the same time. So when my husband got an offer to go to grad school in Texas, I had a fresh slate one year after college. And I knew I was like, okay, I could try to get another job at the news station because I knew I could do it and it was money. And, you know, but then I was like, I can't, I can't spend my life doing something that in my the news just made me very sad all the time. And like, I knew that wasn't going to change because it's the news, especially mm. now I can't even imagine with everything that's happening, right. what it's like working in that environment. Right. Um, so I was 22 and I had an opportunity to start over just one year after college. And it was really hard because it was 2008, which was the crash. And so I could not find a job. I ended up having a waitress and all right. this stuff. And it was, it was not easy. It was honestly one of the most challenging times of my life, but I knew that I wanted to work in the publishing world. I wanted to write. I wanted to do all that. And so I just kept trying and trying and trying um, until one day I randomly met um, someone who become my boss at my first PR book job. And ever since then, I've worked in book publishing and I loved it. So, but there was a wow. solid year of me slinging burgers um, with a college degree and, you know, just trying to like pay our bills and hating every minute of it. I mean, it wasn't fun, but I just, I don't regret that at all because I'm so glad for where things have turned out. I'm glad that I'm not still working in TV and something that I knew in my heart that wasn't for me. I've done this new thing this season where I ask people online, if you could talk to the person I'm talking to, what would you ask them? And I had a lot of questions from people in relation to your work as a book publicist. Rachel Ann Ridge says, what is a publicist looking for in authors they represent and what mistakes do authors make when trying to launch their book? That's a really good question. Right? There's some good questions coming. Just I know. So you know. Okay, good. Um, yes. So definitely what we look for, like I work for Smith Publicity, we have a vetting process because no matter like, you know, how much money you want to pay, what you want to do, if the book can't stand on its own and we don't feel like we can get it media coverage, 
we're just like, we can't, you know what I mean? And so there just really is an element of, okay, I mean, it just depends on fiction and nonfiction. Fiction is a whole nother game. But like, if you're a nonfiction author, what is your core messaging? What are their credentials? Do they have the credentials to be speaking about this topic? Sometimes people are writing about um, mental health or something like that, but then they don't have like a PhD or whatever. And so like, okay, that, you know, so there's a lot, I don't know, like we get really creative and most books, you know, we can find a home and a place and a story for, but sometimes you do have to kind of pull out those things that are media, the media wants, and it might not even be the authors, yeah. you know, like, what do I want to do? Like, okay, let's, let's write a tip list today. And they're like, no. And I'm like, you have to like, sorry, you just do. <laughs> so it's, it's challenging. It is, but it's all over. It's all over the gamut. Edwards underscore Ted asked, what is the most constructive way we can respond if our book gets rejected? That is a good question. You know, it depends, right? So I've experienced lots of levels of rejection in my career. So <laughs> I think there's like taboo. So same. I know, right? So when I was trying to get published and I got rejected, you don't do anything. My husband and I, he's an actor. And so he's experienced like rejection and things too in the past. And what we both have come to do is you give yourself 24 hours to grieve. And you're just sad because like, I think that sometimes, Mm. like, even if you're like, oh, it's fine. Like, I trust it's going to work out, blah, blah, blah. You're still sad. It still hurts. It still sucks, right? It just does. And so like my husband and I have learned that like, okay, I'm sad probably for about 24 hours. And then usually the next day you feel a little bit better and you can kind of keep going. So just giving yourself that space to like, just be sad for a little bit and feel those feelings. Yeah. You have to, otherwise it's just, you know, you can't, it just, it's always going to be hard. It's never going to not be hard. But then too, like if you, (laughs) we always say too, like in the PR side of things, if an author has a book out there and they get like some real, like real bad review and things like that just don't respond is <laughs> mostly what it is and just let it go because it's so subjective and all over the map and and again take your time to be sad about it maybe you know maybe don't look at reviews as much as you have been but feel the feelings and then move on and keep doing what you know you're meant to do love that Calderon Diego asked as one who wears both writer and publicist hat Does that bring any unique challenges to being fully immersed in either role? I would say no, because I think it's beneficial because there's so much insight. I I would think so too. Yeah, there's so much insight to the publishing world because it's such a big animal. You know that, like how to get published, how to get an agent, like what happens after you sign your contract. It's very nuanced and it's all over the place. And it's, it's a lot to get your head around. So I think that being able to have, I self-published a book a long time ago, and I still find that to be very valuable too, just the lessons that I learned doing that. And then with the traditional publishing Mm. too, I can talk to clients and be like, listen, like you should go traditional. Like you should try to get an agent. You should do this. And oh, and also too, just kind of being empathetic more for my clients as well, right? Like knowing what it actually feels like to have a book come out, Mm. how like weird that feels. I have more empathy for my clients on their pub date and just like, yeah, okay, Because as a publicist, it's easy to be like, oh, it's just another day. We're going to keep doing PR. But really, it's there's a lot of emotion and like things that go into these projects. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just given me more knowledge and then more empathy for my clients as well. Sherry Rigg asks, what is one thing you wish someone would have stepped in and helped you with? Like in what sense? Like in publishing and anything? I mean, I think in publishing your book. You know, 
I think that Sherry, this is what I would think, is that there's nothing. I feel like so much of any creative endeavor is something that you just need to do for yourself and do on your own. No one like, okay, here's what I wish someone would do. They would wake me up. They would put my kids to school. <laughs> they would sit me down and be like, Katie, you're only allowed to work on your manuscript right now. You cannot check email. You cannot do anything. And here's a cup of coffee. But like, no one's going to do that. Right. And so it's those like things mm. you have to do and like carve out the time for yourself, which can be so hard. I think that when I got my book contract, it was March of 2020, which is like mind blowing because of how, when did I write a book? The kids were home from school. The world was shut down. Like, I don't know how I did it. And I think there's something to that because it's not glamorous, right? And it's never going to be glamorous. It's always going to be you picking yourself up by the bootstraps, finding 15 minutes to work on something, 20 minutes to send some really awkward emails to people, you know, like just doing these things and just putting yourself out there. And then just trusting in God for the bigger picture. So what I wish someone would do was just force me to do the thing I love to do. But no one can ever do that. So you got to do it yourself. Katie Schnack is the author of The Gap Decade. You can get The Gap Decade book wherever books are sold. It was published by University Press, which is a house I just, I'm such a fan of them and their work. If you are finding yourself in the middle of what feels like a gap season, or you know someone who's going through a gap season, buy them this book. This is the book for them, The Gap Decade by Katie Schnack. Katie, I want to end every interview this season by asking people, this question. So our show is called Viral Jesus for a Reason. Virtually all credible historians, Christian and non-Christian alike, agree that there is plenty of evidence that a man named Jesus actually lived and walked this earth 2,000 years ago. How can we, 2,000 years later, best communicate who Jesus was and what his mission is today? Oh my goodness. Well, that is a loaded question because (laughs) I think that... um, Right now, so much of what people think who don't know Jesus to be, they get from Republican news things or like conservative X, Y, and Z. And I think that can go very far adrift from what the gospel actually is. I am in no way a perfect human at all. Um, But what I try to do is just show with my life, like the love that Christ has. And just in my writing or in my life, just look at how Jesus actually was. Don't look at the TV. Don't look at, you know, what X, Y, and Z is saying on some AM radio station, because there's a lot of beauty in Jesus. And I think that gets lost in so much of the hoopla that's going on, especially today. So it's really just like stripping it down and being like, love, grace, the end, like that's it. And so... I don't know. I just try to do that in my life, in my writing, and just in being honest and being open and being empathetic. I hope that people can go to the source and not, you know, what the media makes him out to, mm. because I think it can change your life for the better. Thanks, Katie Schnack, for joining us for this episode. We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral. And this is where I give you some direct strategies you can implement into your real life that will help you be a better communicator and connector both online and off. Here is your Growing Viral homework. 
Something my husband does when he does trainings on self-compassion is to lead people in a timeline awareness activity. He tells people to draw a big line on a piece of paper and put the year you were born at the left side of the line and then fill in five or six different major life events that really impacted your life. Maybe it's graduating school or getting married or losing a child or going through a divorce or losing your parent. You sit down and you just kind of look at your life and you think of what are five or six things that have really impacted the timeline of my life. And then when you're done writing these things down, you just kind of look at that timeline and you think about it. You say, is it possible that some of these things, good or bad, are still impacting me today. There's no judgment. We're just actually trying to be more self-aware. We allow ourselves and our brains to make space for the reality of the timeline of our lives. Katie Schnack talks about a gap decade, and we can often feel like we're behind on some type of imaginary life timeline that we create. But how honest are we with ourselves about our experiences? And is it fair and compassionate to ourselves to look at someone else's timeline and say, oh, I'm behind because I'm not where they are? Look at your own timeline. Look at the things you have gone through and just kind of sit with it and acknowledge it and make peace with it. I invite you to try this activity. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. Next episode, we talk to one of the authors, honestly, of the best book I read last year. It's Brandon J. O'Brien. I'll see you next week for another conversation conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.